0: Hey, everyone. Today, you're going to hear a new voice on this podcast, though it may already be familiar to many of you. Stephen Baker is an associate pastor here at Trinity Reformed Church, and he joins Tim and I today for a conversation about death and dying. I know the topic probably makes you feel awkward and uncomfortable, but death is, after all, a part of life, and we really should talk about it. So, thanks very much for joining us. My name is Lucas Weeks. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. So we've had a number of beloved church members pass away recently, and so we've had to walk families through the difficult process of grieving, saying goodbye to someone that they love, and then through the process of having a service, you know, getting in touch with a funeral parlor, all of that. And so today I'd like to talk about death and dying, and I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that this is a topic that no one wants to talk about. And the irony of that is that all of us are always on a knife's edge. At any point, any of us could die. The truth is this past year and a half has been uh, quite a lesson in that, right? COVID has brought us death all over the place. And yet we don't even want to talk about death when COVID comes around, right? We want to talk about all kinds of things. We want to argue about other things. Mm -hmm. We want to avert our gaze from talking about this.
1: And in fact, Tim, you've got a story that I'd I'd like you to tell as we get started. Well, let me tell two stories, one about my dad and one about myself. My father and mother, I recently came across correspondence between C. Everett Koop, who was the Surgeon General a couple decades ago, and my dad. We were close to him. He had been the doctor to my brothers in their sickness and also to me. He had once operated on me outside of the hospital which is one of the funniest <laughs> stories I could ever tell but I won't tell it here. although I should probably Maybe tell another it <laughs> but anyhow yeah. the first of the three brothers of mine that died as I was growing up was the one I was closest to and that was Danny and Danny was a year older than I was and Danny got leukemia and Chick Coop was involved even though he was a surgeon, being friends with Dad and Mud, he and his wife, uh, he always knew and was helpful. And of course, the hospital would have been in Children's in Philadelphia, which is where Coop was chief surgeon. Anyhow, my parents went in to have Danny treated. And uh, being faithful Christians, they prayed, they got elders together and prayed that he'd be healed. Mm. But they did something that was unusual, which is after the prayer, they went to the hospital and to the particular doctor who had been most caring for them and his nurse and his receptionist. And they thanked them for their care for Danny. And they said they wouldn't be needing them anymore because they had prayed for God to heal him and God had healed them. Hmm. Well, Danny went into a remission, and I have one of the pieces of correspondence I just came across was them telling people they wrote a bunch of people and told them about um God healing Danny, okay mm-hmm. about one year later, and i actually this is one of my earliest rem- memories I remember when Danny, I guess I should say when he died mm. but what happened was that his remission lasted most of a year. And at the end of that year, all of a sudden he died. He hemorrhaged and he died. And, and it was awful, you know. And there are two stories coming out of that. One is my mother, when she was in her 80s, she was down here visiting us. And out of nowhere one day, she, was, she looked at me and she said, you know, that when Danny was in remission, Two women from church came over to help me in the kitchen, and they were washing dishes and helping in the kitchen. And she said, as they were working, they said to me, Mary Lou, isn't it good to know that Danny is healed? Hmm. And my mother said, I looked at them and I said, you really think he's healed? And they said, oh, no, we don't think he's healed. We know he's healed. (laughs) And my mother said to them, you're sure he's healed? And they said to me, yes, God healed him. Hmm. And then my mother went silent. Now you have to understand this was a non sequitur. There was absolutely nothing that occasioned this in our conversation at that time. It just came out of my mother. Yeah. And so I lived in the silence for 30 seconds. (laughs) I thought, what on earth, you know? Mm -hmm. This is how many years later? And so I looked at her, and, I, and our affectionate term for her is mud. We all call her that. I said, mud, where did that come from? And she looked at me, and she was quiet for a few more seconds, and then she said, God is God. Hmm. And I'll never forget it hmm. because it was just such a glorious statement of faith. Mm-hmm. And it's such an antidote to everything that is evangelical and reformed today, that we think we know who God is, but God, and my father used to say, God will take, God has loaned us our children, and he'll take back his loan anytime he wants. Mm -hmm. And there was no bitterness, no complaint. There was the fear of God and the love of God in my parents, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... The reason I tell all of that is that about 40 years later, my father was on the phone with a man when he was working at David C. Cook, and he came home and told us this story. He said, this is a man I haven't talked to since we prayed for Danny to be healed. Hmm. And he said he called me, and we got done our business, and then he said to me, Joe, isn't it too bad that you didn't have faith for your son to be healed? Hmm. Wow. And he said, I said to him, are you sure? And the man said, sure of what? And he said, are you sure that it was because I didn't have the faith? And the man said, well, yes, God promises that if, if we believe that he will do whatever we ask him. Hmm. And my dad said, you're sure? And the man hmm. said, yeah, that's what scripture says. And then my dad said, and so then I asked him, I said, are you so sure that you will pray that God will give your son leukemia, so that you can show me your faith. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, the story about me is that my brother Nathan, at forty, was diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus. He was cystic fibrosis, uh, chronic acid reflux, and at that time, nobody knew that people that live that long with cystic fibrosis, you need to be concerned about that, mm. you know. And I'd watch him every night drinking a huge glass of baking soda Mm. and now if i see anybody doing that (laughs) i know what's coming right it's Mm. what christopher hitchens died of but that was because of alcohol and tobacco Mm. anyhow we prayed and of course i i at that time i led the pastoral prayer of our congregation we prayed every sunday that god would heal nathan nathan ended up having an esophagectomy down at vandy and After the esophagectomy, it was clear that he was going to die. Mm. And, of course, the chances of anybody surviving with esophageal cancer next to nothing, we knew that. Mm. Anyhow, when it became clear that he was in his final dying process, David would go down, I'd go down and spend time with him, I began to pray Sunday morning that God would prepare Nathan for his death and Mm -hmm. his four children. They had just adopted four children right before he was diagnosed. Wow. So they were all young children and that he would prepare his wife. There was a man in our church and I have trouble not being um, angry still to this day because that man was the ultimate keeper of faith. You know, He knew what his gift was. It was faith. And if I were to talk about how he abused that with his marriage, with Mm -hmm. his children, with his home, Mm -hmm. with his roof, Mm -hmm. it was appalling. But one morning when I first prayed that, after the service, he came up to me, and he was angry with me. He wasn't hardly ever angry with me yeah you know he was just the perfect keeper of faith he, mm. he lived above the plane that all the rest of us scumbags lived on <laughs> you know so he wasn't angry i mean anyhow he was angry and i, I was surprised he said let's say his name is john i said john why are you angry and he looked at me and he said because he said you should not be praying about death you should be asking god to heal him And I looked at him and I said, John, seriously, we prayed for him to be healed for what, a year? Mm -hmm. And he's dying. Mm -hmm. And you're angry that I'm praying that God will help us prepare for his death? Seriously. Mm -hmm. And he said, God will heal him if we had faith. Well, I looked at him and I said, You know something? What your faith really does is it keeps you from ever acknowledging the existence of death. Mm -hmm. And I said, don't you think death is a work that we need to prepare to do? Don't you think that everybody in the family needs to look to God and ask him to prepare for this horror? Mm -hmm. You know, are we never so supposed to admit that this horror is coming? Mm -hmm. And are we not supposed to ask God to help us? You know, at the graveside service, you know, of the prayer book, You know, it says, and suffer us not, lest we fall from thee for any pains of death. Suffer us not, lest from pains of death we fall from thee. In other words, even in the funeral rite, it has a prayer that all of us will please ask God to keep us from falling from him because of the pain we suffer as we die. You know, as pastors, we have the privilege of
0: walking people through this process and helping somebody who is in the process of dying mm-hmm. to prepare for that. And so, you you know, you've raised it, the issue, Tim. Um, I, I want to turn to you, Stephen, and ask you this question. What, as a pastor, what do you, what's in your mind as you're trying to prepare someone for death?
2: Well, being reconciled to God, number one. Mm-hmm. And then I think being reconciled to your family and dealing with those, with issues that need to be talked about or peace made, Mm. you know, being ready to die. Mm -hmm. So with God, obviously that's the, (laughs) that's the one that you cannot ever, well, once you're dead, you can't fix either (laughs) one of them. You know, you can't, you you can't fix your relationship (laughs) with God and you can't fix your relationship with your family. Mm -hmm. There are men who can't even think about, they just can't process anything emotionally. Mm. I'm kind of like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, some men are I'll cop to that. even worse than me. <laughs> Yeah. This is the time. And it's either now or never mm-hmm. for for a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't think the men, the sons will will, or the fathers, you know, will deal with that. And then the sons will have regrets. So just figuring out how to help these people, men, women, you know, mothers, fathers, daughters, whatever, to do the harder, it's almost harder to deal with that stuff Mm -hmm. now. You think it's going to be easier if you don't, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's just like, well, this isn't the time, you know, and it'd be Mm -hmm. awkward, And but then they're gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that it, actually, of course, is much more painful than actually dealing with it mm-hmm. now because there's hope for reconciliation. For
0: But it seems to me that that requires on the part of a pastor to be willing and ready to take the opportunity because you are going to feel, if you feel like it's an imposition, everyone else is going to feel like it's an imposition. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. As a pastor. And so you have to be willing to lead in that process and call people to be reconciled to each other uh, to God, obviously, first and foremost.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it scares the snot out of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If there's yeah. any time in ministry that you feel inadequate and fearful hmm. and responsible, it's death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it could blow the whole family to bits. And I mean, their you know. wrath will be taken out on you. Yeah. And you'll see it. You'll see it in the room. You know what needs to be done. You might know about adultery. Mm-hmm. You might have the dying person ask you whether they should confess their adultery to their spouse before they die. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen. Great. And this is one of the reasons why one of the first things I'd want to say to pastors is do everything you can to get your people to die at home. mm-hmm It is Mm. almost impossible, insurmountable to deal with these issues in a hospital room because you have nurses coming in, out, in, out. You have doctors coming in in the middle of your prayer. They'll just interrupt. Mm -hmm. And you're just skittish in a hospital room because it's their turf, their authority. It's not yours. Mm -hmm. You're really inconvenient. And I don't mean to say that they're rude. They just are professional. And furthermore, you avoid an awful lot of ethical issues if you die at home mm-hmm. because you do not have to use every bit of apparatus that's available to you. But on the other hand, you do have to make sure that the cause of death is the sickness and not you starving or dehydrating them to death at home. Mm. And that requires, them even. Yeah, that requires a Christian physician because there are times to stop giving food and water, mm-hmm. you know, to wet the tongue. But I, I don't want to go into that now.
0: Yeah, the, there's a, a conference we had years ago with some very good talks, and I can link to those in the yeah, show. Yeah,
1: and I want to <laughs> say it is almost normal today for Christians to kill their parents. That's mm-hmm. how common euthanasia mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the hospital wants you to do that because the last 30 days are far and away the most expensive of health care. And so if they can move things on a little bit, but you just don't want to do that. The Westminster Larger Catechism says very clearly that sins against the sixth commandment include withholding the necessary means of the sustaining of life. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to food and water, that is not treatment, that's simple care. Mm -hmm. And we give it unless death is imminent and inevitable. So a pastor is the only one in that room who's going to be concerned about that. Trust me. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a Christian physician. And even with Christian physicians, they'll just poo-poo any concern you have. So it's not just that you have to get the family to do their work. It's also that you have to get that family to recognize the decisions they're made and where the parameters are of breaking the sixth commandment. Mm -hmm. That is what is at stake at the end of life. And so I tell people, because I get these questions all the time, and I say to them, you do not want to starve or dehydrate your mother to death. Mm -hmm. If she's going to die, there's a time to stop giving food and water. But if she is just simply had a stroke and she might be incontinent and she might not be able to express herself, but she's certain to live years more Mm -hmm. and she decides to stop eating or drinking. No. Then you go to her and you 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 and i've had to do this you go to them and you say to them it is not your prerogative to decide when you die mm. you need to eat and drink and if you say that expecting them to fear god and to obey his word they will mm. and so this woman did start eating and drinking then mm. you know so i'm sorry to go into this but well, it's a, it's the other side accent. is
2: not is um that might even be more of a danger with home with home deaths is sedating them to death because you know at a certain stage you get you you, a family will get that will get morphine Hmm. we'll get the freedom you know the ability to use it
0: and you mean they'll just prescribe it and deliver it to your home basically
2: yeah under hospice conditions Mm -hmm. you can get morphine wow this is my my husband my wife whatever and he's in pain Mm. and just a little more just you know just mm-hmm. a little more. And it it's, it's not because I want him to die. It's because I want him to stop suffering.
0: Well, and of course it's not just the, the one who's dying is suffering. The person who's watching is suffering yeah. as well. So yeah. it's, it's self-interested in that sense.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a fine line, obviously that's a morphine is a gift of God. Like other medications, we use it. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing. It's a mercy, but it, it's one of the instead of a passive withdrawal, it's an active thing that can be misused. Mm. And it suppresses vital functions.
1: Right. Yeah. The other thing it does is it keeps them from being capable of communicating. And if we believe that mm. God gives us the tool of suffering, and if we believe that it's a tool he uses to accomplish certain things, and certainly at the end of the life, communication— with one's loved ones, with one's pastor, are essential. Essential. That's right? right. And so you just want to be sensitive to these issues. You know, we tend to think that death is so horrible, and it is. It is horrible. Mm-hmm. It is horrible. It is an enemy. Right. Don't let the green people mm-hmm. turn you into some.
2: Well, the pagans. I mean, that's yeah. The pagans. Paganism.
0: Can I? Can I interject about that? Because I think that's a very significant point. I'm. Not quite forty yet, and uh, you know, but I'm starting to do things like not drink coffee because it gives me indigestion, right? (laughs) And and I start you think about that in a silly way, you know. This is God's plan for weaning us from this world, and Christians, if you're going to see that last thirty days through the eyes of faith, you have to see it as God's tool mechanism for preparing that individual for the next life, weaning him or her from this life and preparing him for the next life. And you have to trust that it's, if if you're the caregiver, you have to trust that it's God's way of teaching you those important lessons as well. Mm -hmm. You have to see that suffering through the eyes of faith and see it as a gift. And it's very easy to not, to be bitter about it, to be anxious to get it over with, to hide our eyes from it, but it is God's tool
1: for us. Mm -hmm. Let me say something about that. This last year we lost two men in our church, church officers suddenly. Mm. Both of them died from heart things, one at 40 with six children, including young children. Mm -hmm. He was an elder and one was a deacon and he just died at 84. 84, 84. yep. And uh, of a heart attack. Right now, as we talk, we have, all of us, spent many hours in the last few weeks at another house of an officer, a deacon, who is dying. And we have known he's been dying for years. Mm. And last night I was over there. They have had family members, including a baby, daughters, granddaughters, widows. And we have been over there a lot. And so the contrast between Joe Rice's death of a heart attack Mm -hmm. last week. Something sudden. Yeah, Yeah. sudden. Mm -hmm. And then Charlie's death, which is imminent, you know, within the next 24 hours is what hospice has said we can expect. He's at home in his living room. It's a stark contrast. And what you realize is that despite the difficulty of Charlie taking a long time to pass into eternity mm-hmm. it's such a gift mm-hmm. because all the work has had time to be done mm-hmm. and there's nobody who dies that there's not work that has to be done mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. i'm not saying anything negative about charlie by saying this right. right and the joy of his wife ministering to him in these last days that she will have that joy to remember that mm-hmm. horrible joy Mm-hmm. and his granddaughters and his great granddaughter and mm-hmm. his, his grandsons-in-law mm-hmm. and the soup, the chicken noodle, they asked me, you know, Amanda, his daughter, you know, you want some soup? They were all eating soup last night. And I was like, no, you know, I'm going home <laughs> and having my dinner. And then I said, you know, that might be nice to have as a horse Dover. And <laughs> so they brought me out a cup of soup and it was Amanda. It, now think about that. That's what happens when God gives us the blessing of preparation for Mm -hmm. death. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's very costly. Life comes to a standstill. Mm -hmm. You don't have free time Mm -hmm. as the extended family while someone's dying and you're trying to visit them. But the tenderness, the kisses, the caresses, the care, you know, it's just beautiful. And so don't think that the blessing is the man that dies suddenly. Mm. because an mm-hmm. awful lot of work gets left hanging in limbo yeah. when people die suddenly. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm.
2: It's what we wish for. It's what we hope for. It's what we wish. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's good for the one who's we all. dead. It's not good for the ones who are left behind. <laughs> well. Uh, I mean, it all depends. You
0: know. The
1: humiliation of having to be ministered to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: you don't think about the humiliation of dying, but it is humiliating, oh, and I think. That's a huge reason why people wanna kill themselves is because they're not willing to go
1: through that humiliation. And it's humiliating to be buried. Mm. Hmm. As Monty Python says, (laughs) they dig a hole and you put the body in it and the maggots go nibble, nibble, (laughs) nibble, which is a bit of a shock if you're not quite dead. And, you know, we laugh at that, but the truth is, I'm convinced that's why a lot of people choose cremation. Mm -hmm. That they don't want the humiliation of people looking at their body, of people visiting, of people carrying their body, of a hole being dug, of them rotting. They mm-hmm. wanna seize their destiny yeah. mm-hmm. and well, have themselves spread on the water in some glorious, romantic way.
2: Or even when, even if they are buried, you go to the funeral home these days and you've, you've got your caskets, of course, then you've got your vaults. Hmm. And you've got on the one end a concrete box. And then the next level up, which is significantly more expensive, you've got the lined concrete box. Right. And then you go up even more and it's like this hermetically sealed concrete box with like ridges and grooves. And, and the whole point is you don't want water to get into, you know, you're playing on the emotions of the, of the loved ones who are left behind. You don't want your loved one to be rotting, do you? So they try to seal that up and man, the amount of money that is spent on that kind of thing Hmm. is really insane.
1: So would you explain to everybody why? we just put in a cemetery, a graveyard Mm -hmm. next Mm -hmm. to our church. And would you explain to them why it is that vaults are required in some funerals?
2: Well, my understanding is it's correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding, it's a, it's about the maintenance of the actual graveyard itself. So if you put a casket, a wooden casket underground, it will decompose and collapse. And then you have the subsiding of the, of the hmm. grave itself and whatever, you know, there could be safety issues. It's it's a, it's a pain.
1: That is the reason, yeah. And so if you have a green burial, mm-hmm. which is just simply putting the body in a some sort of bag that doesn't involve wood. A structure. Yeah, yeah. Then you don't have to have a vault. Right. But it is very strange and you have to be concerned about shocking people. Oh, yeah. You know, the Russian Orthodox Church here in town, that is their tradition. Hmm. Huh. No, no uh, And so that. they have a graveyard right next to their church, mm-hmm. and they just simply carry the body out and put oh, it in wow. the grave. Amazing. We have uh, a, a tradition that we have started here, which is that we begin the burial. We have them lower the casket into the vault. But before they put the top on the vault, we have a pile of dirt there. And everybody there takes a handful of dirt mm-hmm. and begins the burial. So there are various options that you have in burial. But what we wanted to say was that both in the process of dying with euthanasia, I'm not going to eat or drink anymore. You know, I'm going to have an increasing dosage of morphine. Mm-hmm. And in the actual burial, I'm going to be cremated. And right. we're going to have a celebration of life. Yeah. Those things are just more ways of hiding from death mm-hmm. and denying it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but, and and in so doing, denying the curse. Really, mm. that there's a, this is a moral issue. I'm I'm dying because I'm a sinner, mm. and all the all the pain of that we try to minimize, gloss over, yes. minimize, do away with as much as we possibly can. Yes,
1: and in that connection, read Psalm ninety those Mm -hmm. of you listening, and look at what it says about God's anger at sin. Mm -hmm. That has to be a theme at death. Mm -hmm. Moses, the man of God, wrote it. Read it and look at it.
0: What would you say to a church officer if he's called to be by the side of someone who has just lost a loved one, Mm -hmm. maybe just even hours or moments ago? Mm -hmm. What would your advice to him be?
2: What some of us tend to do when... It, in painful, awkward moments is to fill it with words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. There, so there's a balance between saying, you don't want to say nothing. Yeah. But you don't want to have to, you don't want to feel like I have to say something,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and you do have to say something, but you don't want to, filling the silence is not helpful. Sometimes mm-hmm. the thing to do is sit there. Remember with Job, his friends came, I think they sat for a week. Mhm. Before they said anything, then they said a lot. (laughs) Most of it was unhelpful, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, So I think don't be afraid of silence. Don't be afraid of crying. Mm. When you do speak, you know, you can be glib with that, and Mm. that's not good. But scripture is not glib. Mm. You can quote scripture in a glib way. Yeah, you definitely can. You can take scriptures and use them. But I mean, scripture is scripture. And you, you don't want to apologize for. For reminding people of the promises of God. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's no script for that because mm. some some of it is the words, but so much more of it is your presence. Your presence, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bedside manner, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. You know, your willingness to sit there and feel the pain of the moment and not feel like you have to fix that. You mm. can't fix that. You can't even really fix it with the right yeah, words. Yeah,
0: I do think that a lot of what you're describing is a desire to make it go away make make the pain go away mm-hmm. and you do have to resist the urge to do that because it's, yeah, cheap. it's yeah, cheap yeah yeah
1: i doubt that people today even know the word glib because because <laughs> we're <laughs> <absolutely>, <laughs> <much> a bunch of morons <laughs> well no no because it's absolutely everything in a yeah. social media age is glib that's true yeah. it's facile we don't know and how else to be we do not know how to live under the weight mm. that God has given to life. And so we look at it. So I remember after 9-11, what everybody said after 9-11 is, oh, wow, man, it was it was like a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the indictment right. of our glibness. And and so one way to know whether you're being glib or facile is if you can't stand silence, mm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: If you can't send silence, don't say anything because whatever you say is going to be light mm-hmm. cheap. and death is heavy mm-hmm. yeah. and do not deny and try to take away. And that's why people are probably scandalized by us saying earlier that, you know, the celebration of life. Well, <laughs> listen, I've been to a lot of them mm-hmm. and an awful lot of them are, have jokes, funny stories, this, that and the other thing. And so the question is, when do we pay The tribute to death that Christians should is an act of faith. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If 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 the only service we have is a celebration of life, Mm -hmm. that in itself indicates that we are pathetically light, Mm -hmm. unbearably light. And what we need to do is have a service of worship that testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. And that's called a funeral. And it's, it's the very antithesis of a celebration of life. Now, am I saying that there should never be a time to talk and joke and, and, and grieve Mm -hmm. with stories? Yeah.
2: Remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and my answer is no, 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 definitely have that. Mm. That's what a visitation is. That's what an Irish wake is. Mm. You know, you drink, you tell stories, you laugh and you cry. Mm -hmm. That's grieving. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that is not the worship service where we pay tribute to the final enemy and testify to the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Well, go ahead, Stephen.
2: Well, sometimes getting back to what do you say, sometimes almost always what I do is just uh, give a hug and say, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then. Yeah. And then they cry. And then they cry. And then. You hug them the moment will you know come back around where you can talk about life again, yeah. and there are things that have to be done mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes I think sometimes the fact that there are things to be done is actually a helpful thing mm-hmm. for the the grieving widow or whatever mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: where it helps them to kind of have something to do, yeah um, and that's another part of that is helping them think through all of
0: that, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way that's. So open that up for us. What are the, what are some steps? I mean, well, wait a second. Okay. Okay. (laughs) okay.
1: So what Steven said is absolutely true that it can be healing to go to an action list. But Mm -hmm. what I've noticed increasingly across the decades is that people are so uncomfortable with death Mm -hmm. that even the widow, will immediately give herself to an action list. And if you're sensitive to this, what you will realize is that she can't bear the pain Mm. and she will not do the work of grieving. Mm -hmm. Now, it is true that an action list can be part of the good work of grieving, right? We don't want to just, you know, dig a hole and have it collapse on us when someone dies that we love. (laughs) But at the same time, again, we should defend the humility and brokenness and be meek in front of death and not treat death, especially of a husband or wife, mm-hmm. as if it's something to be managed and something in which we will show how wise and prepared and how how efficient and strong and strong. And <laughs> and, and and so often as a pastor, what we have to do is tell people stop, mm. stop. You're avoiding the work of grief. And if you try to avoid it, it's going to snooker you. How? Because the work of grief has to be done. Mm -hmm. Because death is painful. Because their loved one's gone. Yeah. And Uh, don't you you think? Yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, don't you think that the majority of that work gets done later?
1: (laughs) Yes. But honestly, Stephen, I think with a lot of Christians, It never never gets gets Mm done and Mm -hmm. it comes out in bitterness, Mm -hmm. it comes out in older widows who cut their hair shorter and shorter and shorter and get bossier and bossier and make more and more of their money Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they are absolutely impregnable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that is a very real option and they can believe that that's the victorious Christian life, which is not to show weakness. So. I'm sympathetic no, I, to I what understand. you're saying, but I just think as pastors. I would say as a pastor,
0: I can think of few things as difficult as looking at somebody who just, husband or wife just died and telling them, you, you're not doing the work of grieving, now mm-hmm. start doing it.
1: <laughs> well, that's mm-hmm. not what you would say. Of course no. not,
0: of course not. Yeah, I, but. Uh, yeah.
1: Think, of, think of a death that comes suddenly. Yeah. Okay, now all of a sudden, A wife is gone. A husband is gone. An accident, we don't know what it is. A child is gone. Mm -hmm. And you'll go into, you know, I'm thinking of particular cases. And in the particular case I'm thinking of, what happened was as soon as the tragedy hit, the father was telling everybody absolutely everything that was going on with the doctor, with the treatment, with the x-rays, with the CAT scans with the therapy with the, and he just talked and talked and talked and Mm -hmm. talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And And it was oppressive because the way he deals with grief is by controlling everything Mm. and making sure he understands what needs to be done.
0: Mm.
1: And, and so you wouldn't say to him, wait, wait, you know, You just had this horrible thing happen. Aren't you crying? I mean, you know, that's not gonna work. He's gonna look at you like, you know, know, (laughs) a horn coming out of your head. But you do wanna say to him, let's just not talk about the treatment right now. Let's think about God. Let's think about what he just did that changed our lives. Hmm. Let's meditate on our weakness before the glory of God. Let us think about whether we trust him in this, you know. Mm-hmm. In other words. Well, that's why praying and singing
2: hymns make you have to do that. Hmm. And that's what we've, what we've done, you know, in the last, the two examples you mentioned earlier with Adam and Joe. Right there at the moment, we gather together the people, the family is there, hmm. people, whoever is there is, you know, present. And let's let's pray, let's read some scripture and let's sing. And when you're doing those three things, you can't do anything else, (laughs) which is, and you have to be thinking about what you're saying, what you're hearing.
1: And when you're listening to Stephen right now, you think, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's what, but listen, it's very hard to do those things Mm -hmm. when you're a pastor Mm -hmm. because it does bring grief, pain, death, God, God's authority, judgment. Mm -hmm. It brings all of that immediately into the presence of that room. And believe it or not, the majority of times it feels impolite. Mm.
0: Hmm.
1: It feels bombastic. It feels controlling. It feels authoritarian, hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And so don't think that just because Stephen tells you what to do, and you go, oh, yeah, that's what I'll do, <laughs> that you're <laughs> going to be easy. able to do it. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Well, I've seen it
2: done. And. You know, in both of those cases, you're the one leading that process. I don't think in either of those cases, anyone felt like that was weird or inappropriate. Everyone in the room was relieved by it.
1: But that's often true of the things that are most difficult to right. do. The mm. minute you engage it, everybody's relieved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so pastors, if you're listening, have faith to minister in death. Mm-hmm. Be a leader. mm mm-hmm.
0: I'd like to talk about the service for Mm -hmm. a minute. As you're planning a funeral service, what is the goal that you're after? Because, I mean, we've all been to lots of different kinds of services,
2: right? Yeah. So the first thing is what Tim alluded to earlier. So in our funerals, we have a eulogy where one or two people will come, will step up and speak that remembrance kind of thing, Mm -hmm. Have even perhaps have the obituary read, but that is not the worship service. Mm. So we, what we tell our, you know, the families. Look, we, we, yes, we want you to have this time. It's good mm-hmm. to remember. We'll do that right before the worship begins, and, and at then, the visitation, and at the visitation. But this is a public, mm-hmm. you know, a public monologue kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have, but then there will be a moment when the pastor stands up, and just like any other worship service, there's a call to worship, prayer, mm-hmm. singing. Preaching and at this point now we're in worship. This is about God.
0: Why? Why is that so significant, though? I mean, why? What's so bad because, about? Because they're
2: not worshiping the dead man.
0: <laughs> well, but I mean, people wouldn't necessarily say that uh, a service of remembrance yeah. or a celebration of well, life is worshiping the dead man. No, right? I
2: know, but it, it's it is a worship service, magnifying you know celebrating the resurrection of the dead,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: and or the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as you said. Just like any worship service, this is a service of worship of God. Man mm-hmm. is not the center of it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good he was or how how well he was loved. This is a service reminding people of judgment, the world to come, the gospel, calling people to repentance and yeah. faith who are there, obviously. this they What they need to hear is not how great so-and-so was, but mm-hmm. how, how they need to repent of their sins.
0: Mm-hmm. How
2: mm-hmm. can you have a, a funeral and not have that be the center of it? Right there's a body there.
0: Something know? something that Tim has said a lot that I've taken to heart is bring your kids to yeah. funeral service right. and have them go see the body. And I I just yeah. I I do that, you know, and yeah. I think it is really good.
2: I've heard many people say who've actually said they want to shelter their kids from having to see that. And this is you have to you have to bring them up mm-hmm. and tell them, look, this is this is grandpa. What a lot of people will say to their children at that point is this isn't really grandpa grandpa's gone. And I think that's wrong too. <laughs> you know th- this is in fact grandpa. You know when and that, and that gets into how we treat the dead. When Jesus died and they come looking for the body, the women say where have you put my lord? Hmm. Not where have you put that corpse? That thing. Yeah. You know that used to be him but it's not anymore. You know mm-hmm. where have you put him? And then they treat the body with love and with tenderness and respect. They anoint him. Mm-hmm. You know, with spices, they bury him with dignity and respect. That There's a whole theology of that, that th- this is the time to teach it, mm-hmm. a time to teach it.
1: A week ago, Joyce Hawk, the wife of one of our elders, she had been back in Pittsburgh. She comes from a Roman Catholic family a long time. And Joyce was telling me that the particular death she and her husband went back for was cared for by a funeral home that had the living quarters upstairs and the funeral home downstairs. And she said that the man who had run it for many years is now in his 90s and was upstairs, so they went up to visit him. Somehow in the conversation, it came up that well over 50% of the majority of their funerals now are cremations. Mm -hmm. And this older Roman Catholic gentleman just offhandedly expressed his distaste for that and the grief it caused him. Mm -hmm. And then he said, cremation is pagan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, And so you really want to think about all the various ways that we try to be chipper about death. Mm Mm-hmm. It's celebration of life services. It's trying to hasten death with morphine and withholding food and water. It's telling jokes during the worship service. Mm -hmm. If you call it a celebration of life service, how much humor there is in it. You think about all of the ways that we try to avoid the pain and the grief, okay? Now, listen, do not rob life of the weight that our Heavenly Father has put in it do not rob life and death is a part of life and death is the final enemy and make sure everything you do protects its hostility towards us and what God made (laughs) death is a punishment. And wouldn't it be like us as evangelicals with our cheap talk of grace to take the curse of death and turn it into a happy time that's green and natural, and mm. you know, and keep our children yeah. from looking at the body. And yeah. so it's not just cremation, but it's also not having open casket. Right. We have a very sweet older woman in our church. And she's a very forthright, simple, not stupid, very smart, but simple person of simple convictions. Mm. And it, recently in one of our small groups, the discussion of cremation came up. And she just immediately said, it makes me so angry I have stopped going to funerals where it's cremation. She said, I love that person and I want to see them and grieve their Mm -hmm. death. Mm -hmm. And how? why are they taking away my ability to see them and mourn? Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very careful about these things. And listen, I know people listening are just like, flabbergasted at the things we're saying but listen if you're a frog in a kettle and you've been living in it for a long time and somebody comes to you and says you're about to die and you think no i i find it comfortable Mm. let me say (laughs) one thing about this issue of cremation Stephen went and talked about jesus burial and that they loved his body Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. one of the most interesting Interesting things in scripture is the fact that Moses, all right, Moses, God told him he couldn't enter the promised land. Mm -hmm. God took him up to the top of the mountain and said, you're not going in. And then what happened? Well, he died. Then what happened? God buried him. Oh, God God buried him. God buried him. Wow. God buried him. God buried him. Now, that in itself is, along with our Lord and the treatment of his body, maybe the strongest beauties of burial in Mm -hmm. scripture that Mm -hmm. God ministered to Moses in that way. If
0: you haven't clicked on our show notes yet, I encourage you to do so. The first is a link to the audio for a pastor's conference we held back in 2015 that was titled The Last Enemy. The entire conference was about death and dying, and there is a great mix of theological teaching and practical teaching on the topic, so check that out first. Next, there's a link to quotes, scriptures, notes that Tim Bailey collected on the topic of cremation. Some of the quotes are very interesting, some of it's scripture, like I said, and some of it's just downright hilarious, so check it out. And finally, there's a link to Psalm 90, a great psalm as we contemplate this topic. My name is Lucas Weeks. And our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Stephen Baker. Tim, Stephen, and I serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. Bye for now.